Welcome to our next episode of the IP Obsessed podcast with the IP Duo. I'm Michelle. I'm the trademark and copyright attorney. And I'm Tina, and I'm a patent attorney and a PhD chemist. Today, we're going to have a fun conversation about software patents. And this is a great topic because people come to me all the time with ideas for some new software, computer programs, new, there's always a new app um, for your cell phone. And there are so many ways to uh, prevent others from copying this type of invention without your permission. And this is essential to protecting uh, a lot of these businesses. And we've got a special guest uh, who's going to help us uh, describe all the different ways uh, that patents can be used to protect this particular type of invention. And one way is uh, by trade secrets. And we had a guest uh, talk to us about how trade secrets can be used to protect software when it can't be reverse engineered. And Anne will talk to us and our special guest will talk to us about how patents can be used and there are a few different kinds of patents. Designs can be used to protect user interfaces and utility patents, which I think she's going to focus on today, provide the broadest protection because these patents protect the design uh, concept or idea. Right. And I think this is such a fun topic because really software is, you know, it's you can't go a day without having it some part of your life. And, you know, you talk about clients coming to you all the time with with questions about software. And even in my practice on the trademark and copyright side, uh, you know, I'm, that's something that we deal with on a regular basis, whether it's, you know, a name for a software, uh, a type of software on the trademark side, or it's protecting some kind of specific code with copyright. Right. So this topic is timely and we are so fortunate to have our partner and Barry as our second, or actually our third special guest on this podcast. Uh, so Anne, thank you for joining us. And I am so excited to hear about what you have to share with our audience today. Well, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm really excited to be here. Um, I'm, first of all, I'll just introduce myself briefly. Um, I'm a partner at Cantor Coburn. I've been working as a patent attorney now. It's been 23 years, which seems like a really long time to me. Um, I'm, I'm right now, I'm the co-chair of both our computer science uh, practice group and our a AI practice groups here at Cantor Coburn. Uh, for 20 years, I've taught patent law at University of Connecticut School of Law. Um, and you know, before becoming a patent attorney, I worked in uh, various technical positions at IBM for about 15 years. Um, I'm very excited to be here today. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, thank you, Anne. And I have to say, um, I'm. If you can see on the video, Anne has these amazing flowers in the oh, background, yes. and I'm just gonna sit here and drool over them. <laughs> I know. I think you did. You grow those, Anne? I did. I did. Um, I I love their dahlias, and um, I I've become like a crazy dahlia woman. I started uh, probably about seven years ago with six plants, and now I think I have about thirty. They're they're all right in my front yard. Um, some of them are almost seven feet tall this year. They're, they wow. they make me smile. Um, I have all different types and colors. And um, yeah, yeah. I and but my husband has contained me to one particular space because I think he's worried I'm gonna take over the whole yard. But I, I love my dog. I love That's the dogs. Probably smart, but I would be the same if I were diligent enough to dig them up every every fall. 
Sorry. To me, it's worth it because they make me smile. So. Oh, that's wonderful. I love them. Thank you. Well, Anne, let's jump right into it. Uh, my first question for you is what are the benefits of a utility patent for a software invention or, uh, you know, an, an app if someone has a new inventive app? Well, um, having the utility patent, it gives you really kind of a, a in my view, a broad, of course, I work as a patent attorney, so I'm very biased towards um, patents for software because in my view, it gives it, a, we get a broader protection. You know, you uh, prevent others from implementing um, the same software function. So if you have a, a, a function like to maybe like, you know, a mapping software function that you've, that you've implemented that's new um, by getting a patent, you can prevent other people from not just um, from, from implementing that function, um, whether um, they use different code to do it, do it in a different way. Um, so even if the person didn't, copy your idea or copy your code, um, if they try to um, perform the same function, um, you can get protection to prevent them from doing that through having yeah. a software patent. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense because the copyright avenue is fantastic if you can't proceed by utility, um, but it really is much more, like you said, much more limited. Right, right. And it's tougher to get a patent too, right? There's a whole a, a longer process to get it. We go through examination uh, procedures and all. But basically, um, just to like kind of back up a little bit, you know, the right to patent, you, get, you know, when you get a patent, um, you get the right to exclude others from making your invention, um, from either making it, using it, offering it for sale. Um, and, and so basically, this right comes from the Constitution. It comes from Article 1, Section 8 of, of the Constitution. And it's this idea, and I, I, mean, I have a quote here of it, it's, uh, Congress shall have the power to promote the progress of science and useful arts by securing for limited times to authors, inventors, the exclusive right to their respective writings and discoveries. Um, and so the idea is that, um, the idea is to sort of reward innovation. And so in return, you get this exclusive right to what's the subject to the function of the software in this example, um, in return for um, disclosing how you've made your invention. So you disclose the, the, the software blocks in return for having the exclusive right um, to not let other people use it. And so the idea is that then you get these building blocks and in innovation that other people can now build off your invention to continue to um, kind of promote science. Wow. All right. Well, now you've completely convinced us that the utility patent is the way to go for software. So, so you know, tell us, how, how do you get a utility patent for software? So it's the same as, as for any other uh, product for software, but basically, but I, with you, First of all, I mean, I have to start by saying you really should work with a patent attorney who's experienced and that specializes in software patenting um, to guide you through the steps because there are a bunch of nuances and things that can um, help you have a better chance of getting a patent that's got the scope that you're looking for if you work with a, a person who specializes in software patents. Um, and to get that generally like at a, at a sort of an administrative level, you know, there's um, a federal code, of course, there's laws that and it's it's Title 35 US code. And there's really four major things you have to meet, um, sort of, it's got to be directed to patentable eligible subject matter, we call that 101. And we're going to talk mostly about that today. That's going to be that's because that's a big deal in software. It's got to be something that's new, it's got to meet the 102 novelty requirements. It's got to be non-obvious, um, so it's got to be something that you know um, somebody else wouldn't just easily figure out how to do it. That's the 103. 
Um, and then you've got to describe it. And that's that part of the disclosure part, right? You, you must describe it in enough detail so someone else could make it and use it. And again, the trickiest part for software inventions, um, especially particularly over the last, you know, maybe eight years or so is this eligibility or 101 is how we refer to it. Um, meet, meeting that requirement has been the toughest lately. I want to come back to that um, because I know that's a really important topic, Anne. But first, in the context of software, what types of inventions are patentable? So, so, um, so software, a lot of times when you see um, pe people patenting software, they patent the, it's a, the process part of it, which is really just sort of like a list of series of steps of, you know, first, um, you know, I receive this kind of an input and then I perform this type of, you know, um, calculation on the input and then I, you know, produce this output. Um, so it's it could be a series of steps. We also um, patent them along the idea of the machine, the software along with the hardware. So it's, um, it's the actually executing of, of the, the computer function, um, of the computer software function. Um, the other thing is we also have these things called computer program product claims, and those are meant to protect the person um, from somebody from copying, taking the software and just copying it to another machine. So it's sort of like in the old days when we used to have, um, you know, disks and um, places where we stored data was, it, you know, when you bought a software product, it would come on a disk, which of course it doesn't anymore, but it protects that. It protects the installation of the software by somebody else. Um, of course, like then with the um, patentable subject matter, there's always been three exceptions. It's, you know, laws of nature, you know, you can't um, like, you know, patent, you know, um, the law of gravity, you know, um, physical phenomena or, you know, abstract ideas. Um, and it's that abstract idea part that always comes into play with software patents. That, that's where um, most of the um, focus these days that has, has been on. So, I mean, so I guess it seems pretty straightforward, right? Like all of those things are patentable, but it's really not. We got hit in um, 2014 with a decision from the Supreme Court called Alice and it probably doesn't mean anything to most people, but to patent attorneys, um, particularly us software patents, it was a big deal. It changed sort of like, um, it changed, changed the way that we looked at things and the way that we tried to um, draft patent applications and claims. Its formal name is Alice Corp versus CLS Bank International. Um, before Alice, um, abstract ideas were not patentable. They've never been patentable. Um, so we would stay away from drafting claims that contain just mental thoughts. Um, and in 2010, a decision came out, it was called Bilski. And basically Bilski said that software patents were eligible and it, um, but that you had to like tie a computer into it. So we got into the habit as patent attorneys of drafting claims that had the, the, the software along with hardware elements. And those were, um, deemed to be patentable subject matter. Um, you know, 101 rejections were rare when I first started practicing in, you know, about 20 years ago. Um, we, we all pretty much knew how to draft claims that could avoid 101 rejections and that would be directed to patentable subject matter. Um, then came Alice. We started getting, um, now, now it's almost like you don't, you're not a respectable software patent attorney if you don't get 101 rejections because we get so many of them all the time and we've learned how to get around them. Um, I guess, I mean, I don't want to get to all the details of Alice, but basically Alice was a Supreme Court case um, and it was from uh, 2014 and um, it had to do with financial trading. So it was sort of a business method. It was a method of doing business. Um, 
And basically, um, the Supreme Court said you can't. And so the Supreme Court said this method of doing business, of doing this um, trading, is this it was an escrow service. So the idea was that you know if two there are two parties to a financial transaction, how do you make sure that both parties do what they said they're going to do, or if they agree to it? And so it so basically what they that that's kind of a well known process. And basically what they did is they took that process and they put it on a computer. And the Supreme Court said uh, you can't that that patent was ineligible. That you can't take um, a process that's a kind of you know a business process a well-known process and put it on a generic computer and get a patent for that, that there has to be something more. Um, they said, basically, um, you know, uh, there's got to be something significantly more than just the abstract idea of this escrow service. Um, again, that sounds kind of reasonable, right? You can't take something already known and move it, you know, unless you have something to a computer, unless you have significantly more, but the court gave very little guidance on what, is eligible. It did tell us what wasn't eligible, but but we really um, didn't have a great definition of what an abstract idea is or what significantly more is. Um, so because of that, um, there was a lot, first of all, the, the number of 101 rejections shot up after Alice, before Alice, 7% um, of patent application rejections had to do with patentable subject matter. After Alice, it was 15%, and that's over all of the art units. Um, so including all mechanical things, everything. Um, in the business method area, which is really where software a lot of time lands, it went from about 30% to 82% after Alice. So we saw a huge increase in um, 101 rejections. Then the other problem was um, that the uncertainty that, that Alice introduced, right? We um, don't have a clear, and we still don't have a clear, consistent standard for determining whether something is patent eligible or not. Um, we have a pretty good idea um, of, you know, what's not, but again, trying to define what is patentable is, is pretty tough. There, there's a series, there's, you know, a couple hundred uh, cases from the federal circuit that have gone after Alice and gone through, you know, a bunch of fact analysis and all. And it's, and they, and when you look at that, um, you know, you don't really see a clear, consistent path there um, where you can say, I can look at this, this line of cases and figure out what's, what's patentable and what's not patentable. Um, it's gotten hard to predict what examiners are going to do because they're confused too. As part of the patent process, you know, we go through this examination process with examiners and they look at our claims and help us figure out what section, what portions, um, you know, how we have to kind of meld the claims to get them to, to, to get the patent. Um, and they're confused too. Um, and they're confused from case to case. They're confused within the, it's it just, it's been very, it, sometimes in the, in the, the examiners too will say to us, um, I'm not really sure. I'm going to have to check with my supervisor. So, so before, you know, if you talk to an examiner, um, if they were primary, you could get a definitive answer. Um, now you can't in a lot of cases. They feel like they have to go check with their supervisor or check with some internal person. Um, it's been like really highly criticized um, by judges. Um, the former USPTO director has criticized it. Um, commentators, it's a big uh, corporations, patent practitioners, mostly because of this uncertainty issue um, that, you know, it's, it's um, we, we don't, it, we're, it's, it's that idea that you're not sure what you need to do to make sure to, to kind of not guarantee, but to make sure that you can get a patent and that you're not gonna get a one-on-one rejection. 
but I've talked a lot now. So I hope that I hope that makes sense. <laughs> it, do, it does. I'm just like absolutely like astounded by those percentage increases. Was it seven to 15 percent for 101 and uh, 30 to more than double for business method? Yeah. That's incredible. And that uncertainty must be incredibly difficult to deal with. Um, but can you tell talk to us a little bit more about like why why is uncertainty introduced by Alice decision? Uh, why is that a problem? And what is being done about it? So, um, so uncertainty, I, I mean, uncertainty is, is, is a problem. Um, it, it, because, um, there might be less investment in computer technology. Mm. You know, if, if you're looking for investors and you, you know, you're a startup, or even if you're a large company and you're thinking about, I want to invest, you know, some money here. Um, and you're not really sure, you know, maybe you pick the thing that you're more sure about. Maybe you pick the mechanical thing or the, you know, the thing that you, that you're more sure that you, that you'll get a patent in, um, and so you're not sure that you're going to get the reward for the innovation. So, so people might spend less money um, developing software. Um, and and that, that's just one view of it. That's, um, you know, that's crazy initial. because, you know, you, we, you know, first, I guess, you know, we talk about, you know, the, the length of time between filing and getting any information. So I can totally understand now why it's not like, oh, let's file and see what happens at that point. The investors, it's, it's too late. Yeah, you know, you're right, because it does take quite a while, like in the, the software area, it's a couple of years, a lot of times, mm -hmm. between the time that you file your patent application, and you get any, you get your first, we call it an office action. But before you get the first correspondence from the patent office, it, it is, it does take a while. And then that completely undermines the whole purpose of the, of the Constitution with patent protection. Yes, yes. And, and the other issue with it is that if you file for a patent application after 18 months, it becomes published. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so you are, you're, so it's sort of like you're providing the building block because you're published, you're publishing mm -hmm. without getting the protection. Um, again, that's my view of it because um, I, I feel like strong software protection, protection is really important. There's others that think that, you know, we didn't have soft protection um, in, you couldn't patent software for a long time and people still invented software. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I think that it's really important. Um, and again, the other the other thing that they've done, I mean, people are working on this, right? Um, they um, the the uh, Senate in you know, you know, twenty nineteen um, was trying to um, push to get the statute changed, um, and so um, they had congressional hearings. They had a lot of, like a lot of large companies there um, talking about the impact of the uncertainty on them and their investments. Um, they were not um, successful in getting it passed through. Um, Again, it's like not, I make it sound like it's all doom and gloom. If someone says to me, should I patent software? I say, absolutely, yes, you should apply for a software patent. Um, the good thing is in 2019, the patent office published um, some new examination guidelines for patent examiners to follow. And what was great is that they defined abstract ideas. They said they're uh, mathematical concepts, methods of doing business, um, mental processes, um, they also gave examples of claims that are patentable, which is fantastic. So we have something to kind of look to, to try to model after, um, and those that are not, and some reasoning behind it, um, which, which was really helpful because what we're trying to do now is kind of model after those claims, you know, to, to say, okay, can I draft claims that are similar in, in certain aspects to these examples? Um, um, so we've had fewer 101 rejections. We've, we've been getting around more 101 rejections. We kind of have a clear path on how to do that. So um, since the guidelines in 2019, things have gotten better, um, but there still is uncertainty, right? It's better, but there's still some uncertainty. Um, 
Yeah. So, so yeah, so I, so I'm also an optimist. So um, I, I see things getting better. I, so, uh, which I think is good. Um, I did see a great analogy though. I was kind of like getting, getting prepared for this. I was trying to think like, how do you explain what's going on here? And, um, and there was an analogy that um, I saw it was a blog by an attorney at Pearson Butler, um, a blog post from last March, March, 2021. And it said, and I'm going to quote it, um, you know, think of it, the, the situation like a frozen over lake. You want to cross over, but the ice might break at any point. So you want to get a patent, but you're not sure. At some point, you may not be able to get one. You know, um, There's no way to determine where the ice is thick enough. Um, and frankly, everyone walks in ways differently. So every patent is slightly different. You know, um, And just because one person crossed somewhere does not mean that you can too. So, it's, so um, I like this analogy because it reflects that inconsistency that we've been seeing. But it also, um, and it reflects that, that, you know, although there are no guarantees, um, I think that there are ways to draft the patent applications and claims to have a better chance of avoiding the thin ice, right? Like it's clear where the thin ice is. It's on the edges, right? Um, so, um, and trying to stay closer to the thick ice, which is the places where we've seen people be successful getting patents. Um, so um, some things that we do, we try to do, like, you know, when we, we're drafting software patents is describe um, practical applications of your invention. Don't just describe it as um, business method or mathematical calculations, but what are some practical applications? Um, to, and to, also another thing that we try to do is describe improvements to technology um, versus describing it as a business problem. A lot of times when you're drafting, when you're writing software, you are solving a business problem, but there's also usually some underlying technical things that you're also solving and doing differently. Um, things like, you know, maybe um, using less memory, um, using less processing resources, doing some kind of encryption. But if you can frame your software more in the, the realm of technology and technical improvements, that gets you closer to that thick ice. Um, you know, um, you know, so and think about the technical things that you're doing to solve that problem. Um, and remember that sometimes what's obvious to you as a developer is not obvious, is, is something that should be included. It may not be obvious to everybody else. Um, but so so we are getting software patents. We're actually doing really well getting software patents in general, you know, the field in general. Um, but it's been a rough few years after the Alice decision. Um, and But I feels like we're, we're getting, getting into the right direction. That was so helpful, Anne. Uh, it's it's scary, but I'm glad you're optimistic because you're the expert, you know. <laughs> I love that ice analogy, and I'm going to start using that with my clients because I don't have, I can't think of anything that's necessarily akin to Alice. Uh, but I, I think the analogy is applicable to patents in general. And yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. So what are some takeaways from, um, you've given us a lot of information. What are the three takeaways that people can, um, should take away from this conversation? I mean, first thing I want to make it clear that, I mean, software is patentable. And things are getting better. We're getting better at figuring out how to to like kind of navigate this whole 101. Um, it get to get to the thickest ice and to just kind of get to get it to get it so we can get stuff patented. Um, so I, I don't want anybody to walk away thinking software is not patentable because it is. And I would never, if someone comes to me with a software invention, I would never say don't go forward with a software patent. Um, I would say you should do it. You should absolutely do it. Um, even for just the reason that the law is changing, right? Things are kind of in flux. And if you, and if you don't do it, other people might be, you know, so um, 
I, I still, you know, and we are getting soft and we are getting patents through and we're getting great software patents. So I don't want anybody to feel discouraged about trying to get software patents because they should. Um, we're getting them all the time. Um, just for now, be sure to, to try to frame your invention um, as a technical solution to a technical problem um, whenever possible. Try to make it more about technology if you can. And, and there are ways your patent attorney, if you, and you know, again, my, my third takeaway is use, use a patent attorney experience in software because a ex, patent attorney experience in software will be able to help you pull out the technical aspects of your kind of your business, you know, your, um, your, your software application, which you might've written with business ideas in mind. We can help you figure out what aspects and kind of ask you questions to kind of lead you to what's, what are some of the technical underpinnings here? Um, and we can include those in the claims to help us get, get into the patentable subject area. Thank you, Anne. Those are great takeaways. Those are really positive. Uh, okay. I love that, your attitude. And I love that you said that software is patentable because people ask me all the time uh, because the average person has heard of Alice and heard of the challenges with software. And they always want to know, can you even get a patent for software? And the fact that you say loudly, yes, the answer is yes but get an experienced patent attorney. I think that is uh, great and important. So thank you for your- Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for being our guest. Thank you for inviting me. I had a good time. Thank you. And hopefully, hopefully I gave you some good information. Yes, you did. Critical, important information. Uh, so thank you, Anne. It was nice to see you. Um, and so that brings us to the end of our episode. Thank you all for listening. Uh, just as a reminder, this is legal information for informational purposes only. Uh, we're not creating, we're not giving legal advice. We're not creating an attorney-client privilege with this information. Uh, we also want to thank our team behind the scenes helping make all of this possible. Jessica Lister, Dan Cody, and George Pelletier for our uh, lovely music. Am I forgetting anyone, Michelle? I think that's it. And Anne, thank you oh, so you much. <laughs> we do. You have the A team. <laughs> Seriously, it wouldn't be possible without them. Yes. Bye, everyone.